back. Two-Way Radio and our special guest is with us, Phil Kirpin, president of American Commitment, here to talk about uh, a project uh, they have underway, Commitment to Seniors. Good morning, Phil. Hey, good morning. Great to be with you. Hey, I really appreciate you checking in because uh, there are these folks who say, we're from the government and we're here to help you. And it doesn't always work out that way. Uh, What is American Commitment uh, first, uh, Phil? We are a national free market advocacy group. We work really on all of the fiscal, economic, and regulatory issues. And what we try to do, it's a little different from some of the other groups. We don't do original research. We don't do long white papers and position papers, that kind of thing. Everything is just short, direct, to the point, facts, and information. And we try to focus on the issues that are on the margin that could go in either direction. We're getting a little bit of citizen education, engagement, writing to Congress, writing to regulatory agencies or to the White House can can really make the difference in terms of uh, pushing policies in a more free market direction. And uh, if that sounds interesting to people, all of our stuff is on our website at AmericanCommitment.org. All right. I want to give that uh, address when we when we check out here in about 10 minutes. But uh, one of the one of the groups, uh, well, you're trying to influence a number of groups. One thing you didn't mention was the AARP. Are they, are, are they a problem or a help for seniors, generally speaking? Well, I think they've become a major problem in healthcare policy debates because uh, they are viewed as representing seniors and uh, politicians sort of snap to it and jump when they speak on the assumption that they represent seniors and large numbers of voters. Uh, But in practice, for some time now, uh, they've functioned more as a lobbying arm and an advocacy arm of the health insurance industry, and particularly uh, United Healthcare, the largest private health insurance company, and uh, that's because AARP makes more money from their business relationship with United Health than they do from all of their membership dues combined. And wow. uh, they have uh, really become sort of an appendage of United Health. The, the main product is their branded Medigap policy, which is uh, they have a license fee uh, that they call it. They don't, they don't call it, uh, they're pretty clever in this. They don't call it a commission. They call it a, a license fee for licensing their name, so they don't have to comply with all of the rules and regulations for insurance salesmen and brokers and all of that. They sidestep that by uh, calling it a license fee, but they take 5% uh, for themselves off the top of every health insurance product that has the AARP brand on it, and they call that 5% a license fee, and you know that's six or $700 million a year. And so, you know, they know what side their bread is buttered on. And in a lot of these debates, and, you know, you can go back even to, to Obamacare when calls from seniors were 14 to 1 against it, and they supported it and encouraged it and urged it to pass because the mandate, of course, uh, was very good for business for United Health, and because they were able to get a carve-out. And so the Medigap is basically the only insurance market there is uh, where you can still exclude pre-existing conditions because they got that carved into Obamacare, and, uh, of course, that's their cash cow. And so they They've been distorting policy debates uh, because they're able to represent insurance industry interests. And I have no problem with the insurance industry lobbying and representing their interests. That's part of our system. But to do it under the guise of a seniors group is pretty deceptive. That makes it very hard to win these debates. And in terms of the drug pricing debates, 
you know, AARP weighed in and killed rebate reform that President Trump was trying to do. Uh, one of the big distortions we've had in the prescription drug market is the buy side of the market in Medicare Part D, uh, the pharmacy benefit managers, which is the alliance, sort of the purchasing collectives for the pharmacies, uh, which should be the buy side of the market, should be negotiating for lower prices, uh, are not. They're negotiating for higher prices and higher rebates because they've discovered that uh, if they have a very high list price, they can charge a copay at the point of sale to seniors based on that high list price, and you know you, you charge 25% of that high list price at the register, and then they can have a big rebate, and they can just pocket the rebate. And so the, the real price is not the list price. The real price is much, much lower because it's net of that rebate, uh, but they can charge the copay based on the sort of notional list price. Every other government program, that would be illegal. It would be a kickback, uh, but um, they've there's an exemption from the federal anti-kickback law. I don't know how such a thing was put in place originally, uh, but there's an exemption from the from the federal anti-kickback law for the pharmacy benefit managers. And when Trump wanted to get rid of this and make all rebates and discounts passed on to seniors at the point of sale, AARP opposed it. And the only way to make wow. sense of AARP opposing that, in my opinion, is to know that one of the largest pharmacy benefit managers, OptumRx, is owned by United Health, and United Health is the uh, you know the biggest funding source for ARP, and so all of these healthcare policy debates have been, in my opinion, badly distorted uh, by the fact that ARP carries United Health's water. Is it is it too simplistic of me to say that a ARP is really supposed to be uh, providing advocacy for their members, but in fact, they've been co-opted by some pretty big and lucrative players in the field. Yeah, that's my view, yes. Okay. Now, we're going to hear all the time about the, uh, you know, holding prices down and uh, price control mechanisms and such, and and it's always going to be positive as a benefit to consumers, but uh, that's not always the case, right? Well, price controls uh, are, uh, they're always politically popular in the near term because people like paying less for stuff. Uh, the problem, of course, is that when government comes in and sets a below market price, uh, that always causes shortages because you no longer have a market that clears uh, because uh, supply and demand don't uh, you know equilibrate. Can I, can I, can I use a, a below market? Can I use an example from history? Because I don't know how yeah. old you, how old are you, Phil? I'm probably not old enough to remember the gasoline lines. Well, that, that's 40s, exactly where that's I was a good going. Example to use. Yeah, I was going to the 1970s when uh, we had price controls on gasoline, and you couldn't get gasoline, or you had to wait for hours in line, or you had one, you know, even days and odd days. I don't want to go back to those times, not for gasoline and not for anything else. And that's well. Uh, here's the um, here's what's even more insidious about having government set uh, prescription drug prices: uh, the shortages for something like gasoline are obvious to see. People know about them, they backlash against it, and the price controls eventually lifted. The price control for prescription drugs causes a shortage as well, but it's not a shortage of the drugs that already exist because the marginal cost of producing one more pill is you know, a penny or something. It's a shortage of new drugs because the cost of developing a new drug and bringing it to market is about $2.5 billion, billion with a B on average. And if government's going to set the price, you can't make back that money in a return on capital. And so it's the, the shortage occurs, but it's a shortage of new drugs, new treatments, new cures. And because people don't necessarily know 
what would have been. They don't know what they're missing out on. Um, you don't necessarily get that backlash, and it can yeah. be very difficult to undo. And again, I go back to the example of the gas. The price controls in the short run gave people, uh, you know, cost savings, but absence of product. But it also took away the incentives for the producers to go explore for oil and to, you know, to to create a future where you could have energy independence and energy sufficiency and energy abundance. All of that came about when the price controls started getting phased out first under Carter, then under Reagan, and. Uh, that's uh, the complication here is if you take away the incentive for companies to explore new drugs and bring new drugs to the market, well, we're going to pay a big price for that. Uh, we're going to pay lives for that, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, the problem that we've been dealing with for decades is a real one, which is that, uh, you know, the other rich countries do have price controls and they're able to get away with it and still have lots of new drugs because they get a free ride from us. Uh, we're paying essentially those R&D costs and uh, they're sort of getting a free ride because, you know, the drug companies, they don't sell the newest drugs right away usually at the price control prices in these other countries. But, you know, eventually they say, hey, we'll take a little bit of extra sales because we've already made our big return on capital in the U.S. market. And so, you know, they, they uh, accept this sort of state of affairs where the rest of the world gets a free ride on us. And by the way, I have no problem with the poor countries not paying very much for drugs, but uh, the Europeans and the Japanese and the Canadians getting a free ride, that is a real problem. But you can't beat them by just saying, hey, we're going to do the same thing they do because then there's nobody to get a free ride off right. of. Then there's no place that, that's sort of pulling that freight. And so the key, I think, and, and President Trump has, has been trying to do this, uh, the key is you want to break foreign price controls, loosen foreign price controls through trade negotiations and kind of meet in the middle. So we pay less and they pay more, and you still have that strong incentive for R&D. And what I'm really worried about is that Biden's going to come in and say, hey, we're going to adopt uh, foreign government set prices in the U.S. It's bipartisan because President Trump proposed the same thing. And he's going to do the easy half without the hard half. And the hard half is the trade negotiations to get their prices to rise and meet in the middle. And if you do the easy half without the hard half, um, you destroy the incentive to cure diseases. And we don't get new cancer drugs and new Alzheimer's drugs and things that we really, really need to have you know longer, better, healthier lives. Phil, uh, we're about out of time uh, for this segment, but I wanted to ask you, what are you suggesting that our listeners do? Uh, they can get informed uh, better at AmericanCommitment.org, but uh, what else can they do uh, to kind of push back against these uh, insidious price controls? Well, we've got a uh, pre-written form letter to Congress that they can send off as is, or they can edit however they like, and uh, it, it's pretty broad language right now, because we don't know what the specifics of the debate are going to look like until we get kind of into the legislative year, but we're trying to just put a little bug in the ear of our uh, Congress people. Hey, when AARP speaks, understand they're speaking for the health insurance industry and discount their advocacy uh, with that understanding, because uh, if we don't do that, if we don't condition the ground for that, then when we do get into the specific debates later on, uh, they're just going to have so much uh, ability to distort them as they have in the past. And so that's our specific ask right now. And, you know, that'll also get you on our email list. So when we do get into the, uh, you know, the real legislative and regulatory debates this year, uh, we'll be able to send updates and, and get people information uh, when they can make a difference in the specific debates that go on. Phil Kirpin, president of American Commitment. And again, folks, the website's AmericanCommitment.org. Thanks so much, sir. My pleasure. Have a good one. You too, sir. All right. We'll be right back. Talk Radio 98.5 WRTX. 